Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is the 28th of July, 2020, and this is episode 301. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we'll look back on the actual baseball we got this past season. We'll also look ahead to see if we're going to get any actual more baseball uh, going forward this season. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what is on your lips this week? Jake, we've talked about um, for several months now, um, you know, the issues that are plaguing our society. Um, and, and we've talked about COVID-19 and, you know, how much of an impact it has uh, made in terms of, you know, immunity and health and stuff like that. So it got me to thinking, you know, what can we do in order to um, alleviate this, as it were? Um, and as I don't have enough vaccine to drink, I thought back to my childhood hero and I said, you know what cow would do? Cow would have a tall glass of milk. So, Jake, that is what I'm doing this evening. I'm drinking a tall glass of white milk. I was so frightened as to where you were going with that. <laughs> but it ended in a wholesome place, which is unusual for you. But I will take it. Scott, I am following a recommendation from you. Uh, I am working my way through a dripping, which is the yeah. uh, Big Oyster Brewery uh, Hazy IPA. Uh, but, Scott, I have a bit of a beef. Okay. Um, and, and a bone to pick with you, if you will. Um, I'm not sure, and I would have to go back and, and listen to the audio. I'm not sure that you advertised this as a double IPA when you had recommended it to me. Um you and I went out uh, for some socially distant uh, uh, male bonding with some some friends of ours and uh, sitting around the fire uh, um, that evening, I, I took things a little hard um, and, and it was all because I was drinking double IPAs uh, where I thought I was just drinking beer. Uh, so, Scott, I, I, I feel like uh, you know, my difficulties that evening are, are your fault. I mean that that's a possibility. I, if I remember correctly um, for that one, and you'll have to you know excuse my ignorance here, but I believe that one's at like seven percent ABV. Is that correct? I don't I mean it's not at the typical double IPA area of like nine to twelve percent. So Scott, 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 you're you're not listening. Oh right, this, it, this it's like needs it, to be your fault. It's like triple the Michelob. Gotcha. I got. <laughs> I, I understand now. I I, pre I appreciate you playing into it. Yes. If you are curious as to what we are drinking, that's all good and fine. But we're also interested to hear from you. Please come get social with us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E four zero two five, and I'm at M A G N eight six zero six. And with that, two hundred eighty characters or less this week on the Twitters. Scott, I know that we've you know gone to great lengths to really eliminate any foul language on the show, and so. You know, I, I need to ask you, am I allowed to say that this tweet makes me both sad and horny? I think that is appropriate based off the audience that we have. Um, I think there are various individuals coming to age, including your daughter that listens to this podcast. <sighs> You're the worst. Um, this tweet comes to us from Bob Nightingale, who tweets at B Nightingale. Nelson Cruz with another home run. 
He has two homers, two doubles, and seven RBI on the day. He has 10 RBI on the weekend. Scott, I am sad that we only had the one year with Nelson Cruz, but I got to tell you, I love the fact that that guy keeps hitting father time out of the ballpark. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's great to see a 40-year-old continue to mash, um, is the best way to put it. Hopefully, um, like I said, everything is hunky-dory and he's doing it by the books. But uh, Nelson Cruz is a genetic specimen, as it were. Um, and I'm going to continue to see and love everything that he does on a season basis. Um, Couldn't happen to a nicer guy either. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, next tweet. Um, this is going to go into the category of um, yikes. Um, it comes from John Heyman. Um, hearing Marlins are out there looking for extra MLB quality players. Obviously, you have a lot of concerns, but one of them is fielding a representative team. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are we supposed to be fielding a representative team? Are the Marlins actually fielding a representative team? Are the Orioles? The Orioles are definitely not fielding. You, yeah, the Orioles are definitely not fielding a representative team. I'd <laughs> say they're fielding at best a half a team. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of... Um, ugliness and ickiness that goes along with this whole situation that you know the marlins thinking they can go out and get the scrap pile of things and bringing people into that clubhouse um yeah not not just not a good look for the marlins organization at this given time all right um with our next tweet i gotta be honest i don't believe that we've read the terms and conditions for this this tweet comes to us from doug exeter who tweets at Doug underscore Exeter. COVID-19 may not be retransmitted or rebroadcast without the express written permission of Major League Baseball. That's uh, that's good work. I applaud it. Absolutely. And our final tweet of the week comes from Britt Droley, at Britt underscore Droley. Um, she tweets as follows, Sean Doolittle, sports are like the reward for a functioning society. Pretty much sums it up. Yep. Yep, absolutely. It's a classic example. We this is, you know, an, an old quote from Sean Doolittle, but again, um, you know, we get a brief um sniff of it and then it's going to quickly be snuffed away because in essence we don't have a functioning society right now. Um we've got, you know, twenty five to forty percent of the society basically um, you know, wanting to participate in in terms of making everything better. So Yeah. Yay. We'll get there one day by, you know, 2022, 2023. We'll get there. All right. Well, with that, um, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, feel a bit better uh, and uh, head on over to the medical wing. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. going to listen to your heartbeat, fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. It's okay if you giggle. All right, so coming in from medical wing, um, not too much to add here. Um, John Means still dealing with arm fatigue. You know, he seems like he's okay. He's uh, set to make his next scheduled start. Um, I don't think he's going to do it against the the Yankees in this upcoming Wednesday and Thursday series. But Jake, I, it, it sounds like there is a possibility that um, you know he could potentially start this weekend. Um, you know, are, are you doing anything different with John Means when he kind of comes back? Um, or are you kind of taking this extended break and just running through the set again with, um, you know, Alex Cobb and everybody else? Well, um, I'm not 
I, I don't want to shock you, but I'm not either a medical professional or a baseball professional. Um, so I, I would say you, you probably take it easy, probably the same way you would in spring training when a guy comes back uh, from, from dead arm. He's probably going to be on a pitch count, right? And whatever the right number is, uh, they should be conservative with it. And, uh, you know, even though it's a short season, even though, you know, they may not play another game, uh, I, I think that you do everything you can to keep – uh, him healthy. There is no sense in hurting John Means for the 2020 season. Jake, you um, shocked me there in that you know proclamation that you're no longer a doctor. I literally had milk dribble out of my mouth. You, in essence, made me milk myself. Um, I, we're not doing phrasing. We're anymore? not doing phrasing anymore. You know, it, it's not just that I'm not a doctor. I didn't even stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Absolutely. One of my best dad jokes that I always pull and people just look at me like, oh, my God, really? But um, the best part is, is that the further we get away from that commercial set, nobody will know what we're no, talking about. Absolutely not. Um, I think that's about it. So, again, you know, baseball season kicked off this past weekend with games starting last Friday night. Um, and then things have come to a hiatus. So. Let's quickly go through what, you know, in essence, occurred this past weekend and what we have to look forward to um, in the upcoming week. Okay, so Scott, we've had an interesting season full of ups and downs, and, well, we've only played three games. So far, Major League Baseball has postponed postponed a couple of games between the Marlins and the Orioles and the the Yankees and the Phillies and, and frankly, put the Marlins' season on hiatus until later, and all because of the COVID-19 outbreak. Now, here's something I, I don't feel like I'm hearing enough from the conversation surrounding this issue. I'm I'm really worried for the players, the staff and their families, right? These people, just like millions of others around the world, are not just statistics. And as fun as it is to poke fun at the Miami Marlins for not uh, feeling a representative team, you know, I, I really, truly hope that the people who have tested positive um, experience mild symptoms and recover quickly. And I hope that that's the end of it, right? That the 14 people, the Marlins is, you know, the extent of the outbreak on that team. But this scenario is a total mess on so many levels. And, uh, you know, just at a human level, I'm worried that it's going to become, you know, heartbreaking. Now, it's easy to jump to conclusions, right? But it's hard to imagine a scenario where this isn't the beginning chapter of the end of the 2020 season, right? Like, am, am I reading too much into it? Or, you know, does this look bad? This looks bad on all accounts. Um, I mean, you look at the the articles that have come out. Um, you know, you look at pictures of Mattingly standing in the dugout without wearing a mask on um, in, a, in a proper fashion. Um, the whole system, um, in essence, became broken. Um, you know, Major League Baseball didn't step in and basically dictate that, hey, you, you're, you're not going to play. Um, you know, there was a group text um, where all the players made the decision to say, hey, we're going to go out and play. 
Um, but you know, for folks that, you know, have been on group text before, um, let's just say that they have a tendency to, um, be pushed along by certain more, more vocal majorities, um, more so than anything else. Um, and again, I, I ultimately do think this is, you know, a baseball problem. Um, but I do think it is kind of, it mirrors a lot of the, you know, national and country failures that we are, are continuing to see where there's this reluctance to basically do safe practice. Um, you know, some of the things that I watched from this weekend um, as a casual observer was just like, you know, what kind of contact and what kind of touching is actually going on? Um, you know, slapping of, you know, the, the rear ends and stuff like that. Just that, you know, incidental contact aspect is or stuff that I, I look at and I'm like, uh, I wonder if they really should be doing that or not. Um, well, I mean, you, you touched on, you know, whether or not it's a, a baseball failure versus a national failure. I, I mean, first of all, how strange and appropriate is it that this is happening with one of the Florida teams? Right. Um, but but the I think, you know, a, a real shocking thing to me is that a news story has come out saying that, you know, the players via group text were able to decide to play or not play. It seems to me to be a lack of leadership from Major League Baseball to have a set practice for that, right? Like when it comes to player safety, I I don't feel like that decision should be left to the players, right? There should be a policy. Mm -hmm. And, And I'm not saying that I know what the right trigger is, right? I don't know what the right threshold is. I don't know when the right time is to say, this is unsafe, we're going to hold off until it is safe. But that has to be a policy. It has to be set. It has to be transparent. And it needs to be followed. And it needs to be set by people that are not emotional in the moment of playing baseball. Sure. Completely agree with you. I mean, you know, coming back to my own personal experiences, I have been on group text threads in terms of going to a softball game. Um, and the leader who used to be a former Y counselor um, basically said, hey, it's just a little lightning. We can go out there. It's not going to be an issue. And and certainly we all went out there and played and we were safe, um, but we got lucky. Um, and, you know, that camp counselor, you know, in, in his name being Jake English, you know, really threatened us to basically go back into that ball field and play that softball game. So look, you're just whining because you're the tall one. That's all. <laughs> But but again, I, I, I come back to um, you, I completely agree with you. You know, there needs to be written policies in place and checks in place um, in, in order to basically make sure that there is a a chain of command um, and in essence taking it outside of that aspect of like if this occurs, then this occurs. Almost a flow chart, as it were, um, in terms of doing that. And instead, it kind of just is like, well we'll see what happens. Like, we'll see how big of a deal it actually gets. Um, and this is how, you know, COVID spreads like wildfire. Um, and we can, we can see that right now in the, in the Marlins organization. And again, so far um, from the test results that have come back from the Phillies organization, um, you know, nothing has come out as positive, but again, we, we know the incubation period is extremely long uh, for this virus. You know, who's to say that in, you know, four to five days, that uh, you know, Phillies player doesn't test positive. Um, I, I think ultimately, um, you know, that's the biggest scary part. Is you know, uh, I, I completely agree with you, Jake. That you know, I have sympathy back to the players, the staff, the families, um, and even the individuals they came in contact with, like hotels, food delivery, and stuff like that too. But another part of me is also looking back of, of this aspect of like, I also feel a lot of you know, I'm more scared for how does it spread to the whole, you know, 
Major League Baseball travel and everything like that as well. So I think as soon as the Phillies player becomes infected um, and test positive, I think we're going to have to have a greater conversation um, at that given point of, is this truly the end? So, I mean, you and I are on record. I mean, gosh, if only there was a a recorded uh, record of our thoughts on the subject. But you and I have talked a lot in the past about the fact that we didn't really feel like the season was a good idea, right? That that we as a society were not functioning enough to be rewarded with baseball. So let's let's put that aside. <clears throat> um, I hope that Major League Baseball does what is right by health experts to ensure that these human beings are treated like human beings. Let me ask you this. Going back to the game, um, you know, let's say that miraculously the season is able to continue with, you know, some missing games here and there. How many games or, or I guess, I guess, I guess the right question is what kind of disruption can a 60 game season withstand without the integrity of that result, you know, as in terms of the standings and the playoffs being compromised? That's a great question. Um, You know, the fact that the Marlins are going to sit out for an entire week um, and miss, I think it's six games, is just mind-boggling to me. I mean, it's 10% of the season. Um, So I I don't know how this works. I mean, you know, the Marlins were not going to be in playoff contention regardless. But I look at other teams that they were going to face. I mean, I, I look at the Marlins and the Orioles, um, and in reality, there was a good chance that you know those two teams are going to be right there at the very bottom of the entire league, potentially for our draft pick. How does this impact the MLB draft going forward? I, I have no idea. Um, it just seems like it, it seems like a massive mess um, in in terms of you know how this is going to impact um, the game, the seating, the expanded playoffs. I, I have no answers at this point, but it certainly seems that even losing three or four games is going to be significant based off of um, the amount of time they have we have left. I mean, just think about all the time we spent arguing over, well, I want to have 60 games. Now I want to have 66 games. Now I want to have 70 games. Now let's go back to 60 games. And now we're literally throwing games away because, you know, of this given scenario. Yeah. No, I I, um, I don't know how they see their way out of this one. Just from a logistical standpoint, I... I I think it's it's troublesome. I, I um, feel like Bud Selig, where I'm just kind of throwing my hands up at the All Star game. I'm like I have no idea what they're going to do. Like I just you know just end it at this point. But all right, all right. so I wasn't going to go there, but now I'll ask the question. Uh, you know, clearly I'm not thrilled with the the direction that I'm seeing from Major League Baseball. Do you think that this season and Major League Baseball's handling of it is a danger to Rob Manfred's job? Um, I think what will happen will be, you know, Major League Baseball will get through this. I think they'll get through the next um, labor negotiation. And whatever happens at that labor negotiation will either, you know, basically affirm that Rob Manfred is a Hall of Fame um, individual <laughs> and should be indoctrinated into Cooperstown, um, or he is, he is seen to the curb um, by ownership. I, I think based off the conservative nature of Major League Baseball, I think Rob Manfred is going to stick around much more so than we typically see in any other sport. Um, but if the if labor negotiations go south, like we're all expecting it to, um, and there comes to be a strike, I could easily see ownership stepping in and saying, this is clearly not the guy, uh, and he wasn't the right pick um, for us to basically lead the 
lead the organization into the 21st century. Sure. Okay. Uh, let, let me ask, let me go back to another logistic question about the season. Um, do you think that at some point these postponements become forfeitures? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think they, in essence, just become, you know, no longer part of the season. I don't think they'll, you know, be made up um, because I just don't see how they're going to do it. Uh, I just don't think we're going to get into forfeitures because then it can destroy the whole, um, you know, aspect as it relates to playoff seating and everything like that. I mean, can we let's just think about it this way. Like if the Marlins don't play the Orioles for the four games, does that mean that the Orioles are truly, you know, six and one now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but. You know, again, that affects two clubs, right? I mean, the, the other club doesn't have the opportunity to win. And let's take the Orioles and the Marlins out of it. What if it's the Yankees and the Nationals, yeah. right? I mean, I just, again, going back to the question of the integrity of the season, uh, it's interesting to see what they will do if this goes any further. Yeah, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know what this is going to look like. I mean, you know, I understand maybe one game being missing off the season, but if we're going to see four to six games missing, I, I just don't know. Um, it, in essence, ruins it. I mean, and it comes back to the point that was made, um, you know, by folks coming into the season. It actually may have made more sense to basically do more similar to like a World Baseball Classic, where it was just kind of a tournament format um, and almost a bubble format. Um but again, that's not something that Major League Baseball decided to go with. And nor do I know if the Players Association would have agreed with that as well. Um, but we're starting to slowly see, um, you know, the threads of the seams kind of come off the ball at this point. I think the 2020 World Series will be decided by a uh, home run derby hit off a tee. Um, I, like I said, I who knows what's going to happen at this point? Again, it is it just a massive, um, it's a cluster is the best way to put it. All right, let me, let me ask you this. So let's say, just for giggles, that the season ends tomorrow, right? The players and Major League Baseball get together and they say, look, this is Sparta, this is madness. Let's just not, let's stop this, right? What happens then with the game? And what I mean by that is, you know, they're not just going to go dark until, you know, the first game of spring training in the 21 21- season or you know, whenever it is they can safely come back like what does major league baseball do to connect with its fans right like what does the league do you know what do do uh players and teams do like baseball won't just go away right so like how does major league baseball and its and its entities behave as a entertain entertainment slash media conglomerate you know, if play gets shut down. So, I mean, I coming back to this, the major league baseball organization, I'm not sure there's much they can do. If they shut down the season, they shut down the season. There's no aspect for them to basically be contractually obligated to basically do anything with the players. Um, I think the more interesting question comes back down to what happens to certain players. Um, And I'm not talking about major superstars, but I wonder if certain players that are kind of in that, B slash C caliber, take the opportunity and say, hey, um, I'm going to go over to Japan and just play a partial season over there um, Mm. and just, you know, ride it out over there for a little bit. Um, I I don't think there'd be any big big players. It's not like Mike Trout's going to go over there or Mookie Betts. Um, But I wonder if there's somebody out there um, that would be a big name player that would go over to Japan and and really make, um, you know, Japan baseball something worth watching 
um, in terms of some really competitive talent. I just wonder, like, you know, we, we saw the MLB, the show uh, tournament, right, where baseball really for the first time tried to engage fans in, a, in, a, in that way. Right. And so I wonder in a landscape where there are no baseball games, if the league tries to up their game, um, you know, maybe through MLB advanced media, uh, media or, or something to, you know, remain a, a relevant presence from an entertainment standpoint while people are trapped in their houses with nothing but their, their electronic devices. Right. Yeah. I don't know what the right answer is, but I, I think that once not only does baseball have to figure out how they can safely play the game and more importantly, whether they can safely play the game. But I think they also need to have a, a team working on, okay, what does baseball look like as a virtual entity to connect to its fans? Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen virtual entities such as like MLB the show coming on there. I mean, we're obviously even piping in MLB the show um, music and sound effects into stadiums now, which is mind boggling to me. Um, but I still think that if we, you know, consider the general population audience that watches baseball, I think we're going to be hard pressed to, in essence, pick up that baby boomer generation if real games not being played. That that doesn't mean that individuals in their twenties, thirties, and forties um, are not going to um, turn into an altered product. But I do think that older generation is, is not going to do it. And maybe that's the right move is to try to get a, a new younger generation on there. But I, I just don't feel like baseball and Major League Baseball are set up with the right mindset um, to pivot in that direction at this given time. You talk about the younger generation. How terrible is it going to be in the moment where you have to tell your kids that baseball season is over? Uh, I mean, it's it's similar to what you and I went through this spring. Um, you know, in essence, going and telling our our, our sons, like, there's not going to be baseball. And they're just like, okay, well, when, when do we play baseball against? So it's like, now, like, you understand, like, we're not playing baseball. And, you know, I know there are people that, you know, are currently playing baseball through, like, travel and stuff like that. Um, you know, there's, you know, positives of that. There's negatives of that. Um, but but ultimately, you're, you're absolutely right. It, there is a lot of kids uh, throughout the country that are, in essence, not going to get to, um, in essence, play a game that they love. Um, they're not going to be able to watch it. They're not going to be able to play it. Um and it's tough. Um, and again, it's it's also just, you know, you, you look at the cost to play the game, too, in terms of equipment and stuff like that. Um, and it's going to be equipment that, in essence, is going to go to waste. Um, it's it's sad. It's heartbreaking. But again, there's there's a bigger um, issue at hand in terms of just the severity of life um, that, you know, outweighs anything that the game of baseball um, brings to the table. Well, Scott, this is what we get. This is what we get for allowing our children to do the things that they love instead of trying to turn them into the next Bobby Fisher. Uh, right? Uh, chess, pl- chess players are not having a hard time here in COVID-19. Uh, well, except, you know, you got to sanitize your piece. And if you pick up your piece, then it's actually technically a move. But you can play chess digitally, please. You, you can. It's just it's not the same thing if you you know want to pick up your pawn. You even get to be a chess master. Oh, that's true. Chess master was was quite the game. But yeah, I. You know, we we ju- we talked about this of how long the season was going to last, and I said about thirty games. Um, there is no way in my in my mind that I thought to myself like, after one weekend, we're going to have a massive cluster outbreak. This literally has to be the worst case scenario for Major League Baseball. Um, 
I mean, I, I can't imagine a worse case scenario um, than what has come out from the Marlins organization. I will say, if you are a a you know large city in America trying to draw baseball to your location, being able to say, "Hey, it's simply not safe to play baseball in Florida these days," but hey, I've got a AAA stadium or. I've got an independent league stadium or a college stadium that's not being used. Come on down. So, you know, coming back to that point of what could baseball do, I I think that is the best thing that they could do would be, um, in essence, maybe go out to like Omaha, for example, um, where College World Baseball Classic, College World Baseball World Series is played, um, and, and say, we're going to field eight teams um, and it's going to be a random assortment of teams um, with various different players. And um, we're going to play it out and we're going to see who wins. I think that may be interesting. I don't know necessarily, again, if it's going to reach the given subset of the population that Major League Baseball is looking to do because a random assortment of players um, is not going to have the the regional pride or the city factor that I think is so critical from a baseball standpoint and even from a, from a sports standpoint. Um, but I, I think Major League Baseball is going to have to get very creative and very quickly in terms of what can they do that's similar to what the NHL and the NBA are doing in terms of um, playing within a bubble. I got to tell you, I didn't think when we talked about the uh, you know 2020 season that when we uh, you know talked about how the season was going to go, we would be uh, so interested in the survivor pool. Uh, but you know, fantasy baseball has a definitely different look this year. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be weird. Um, and that's the best we can, we can, we can, we can call it. Well, it is weird, but for a brief moment, a brief moment this weekend, there was a bit of normalcy. Can can we take a break and then come back and talk about it? Yeah, let's talk actual real baseball as opposed to, um, you know, being miserable over the potential end of baseball in general. So, uh, hey, Jake, uh, there was real baseball this past week, and it might be the only baseball we get until the COVID-19 pandemic is addressed and contained. So uh, I I didn't get to watch Friday, but I watched it on repeat. Uh, and then I promptly sat down and watched Saturday and Sunday's game. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I had a great time um, sitting on the couch on Saturday and Sunday and watching the game. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of you know positive comments and stuff like that. Jake, how did you enjoy Saturday afternoon's game? <laughs> Um, first of all, you're a jerk. <laughs> what Scott is referring to is I took my first, uh, afternoon baseball induced nap of the season on Saturday. Thank you. I did enjoy very much of the game, both before and after the nap, but the nap was lovely. Are, are, and aren't baseball and, naps the best though? Like you're just sitting there and you're just kind of watching the game and you're, you're in your happy place and you're. There's a tingle of warmness, um, and then you're just like, I'm just going to rest my eyes for a second here, and then you wake up. 
and you go to sleep in like the third inning and you wake up in like the bottom of seventh or the eighth and you're just like, holy cow, what just happened? Um, it, it's as close to time travel um, that I think we're ever going to get to in our live streak. And of course, my wife was right there to capture the moment. She Absolutely. must have a, a entire phone filled of pictures of me. Uh, I think sleeping. she just likes to take photos of you. Nah, I think she prefers the unflattering sleeping ones the most. So, I mean, I guess the question is, what did we see this past weekend that kind of stood out to us? Well, one thing that I thought was interesting was that there were so many stark differences between the the way the game was presented and and operated from a standard uh, game. And yet so very much was the same. Right. I mean, it was just so refreshing to sit down and watch baseball. Right. Like you and I have talked about how, you know, this probably isn't a good idea, but put all that aside, like. Damn, it felt good to watch baseball. Yeah, right. I, I think, you know, coming into it, you know, I was curious to see how the interactions went in terms of the dugout, um, you know, how the pace of play went, um, as it were, in terms of it. Um, we've talked about this before, but baseball has a has a rhythm to it. Um, and I felt like um immediately starting and watching the game, that rhythm was right there and it didn't like kind of reverberate or change too dynamically. So, you know, there are definitely differences. But overall, I felt like the product out there was virtually the same of what I was used to seeing. And here's another universal truth. Um, The Orioles are not very good, and they're not going to be good. And the 2020 season is weird, and the 2020 season may be short. Uh, But there are a few joys that are greater than beating the Red Sox. You're absolutely right. That's a good day. Yeah, and um, it's it's amazing to me to watch the Red Sox um, put out um, pitchers that would be like Orioles quality pitchers right now, um, and it's just amazing to me that a, an organization such like that is, has a starting rotation like that. But um, it was again Friday night was brutal um, in, in terms of listening to it. Um, I was watching listening to the end of the game on the radio coming home from a wedding. Um, Saturday and Sunday were much more enjoyable. Um, you know, not just because the Orioles won, um, but because there were good plays on both sides of the field. And again, it was a good kind of give and take, um, where, where, for, where Friday was just a, an absolute like, um, you know, minor league team going against a major league team. So sure. You're, you're, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to find anything good when you get run out of the gym, but even if you lose close, you know, there's still stuff to enjoy. Yeah. Um, I, and again, you know, listening on the radio, um, I, I thought the radio broadcast was really good. Um, you know, I also watched the broadcast and I saw Palmer call into, which I thought was a nice little um, reprieve slash, you know, enjoyment aspect. I, I was actually just thinking about Palmer this week. Um, it was it's four years to the date that I actually met him in person and got my book signed by him and, you know, talked to him about a, a few things within the organization. So it's, it's amazing to me how... Um, how much things interconnect from a time standpoint. Now, um, I, I think the only radios I have in the house, uh, I'm thinking about it here. I think the only radios that I have access to in the house right now are, are satellite radios. Uh, and unfortunately the delay is so much on the satellite that it's tough to watch and, uh, listen at the same time. And it's also tough to, listen and engage on social media, right? Cause, cause Twitter is way ahead of the broadcast, but it, I did listen to some and I caught uh, Kevin and Jeff on the broadcast and really liked what I heard. Um, 
you know, I, I, again, you know, we talked about Kevin Brown in the past and how, you know, he kind of crept up on us and, and we, we both really enjoy him. I'm really looking forward to getting to know, you know, that whole trio on the radio. Um, and so, you know, again, if, if the season does continue, I, th- I think I may spend some time, you know, turning off the television and just tuning in uh, to, to get to know the, the broadcast on that side. Yeah, I really like Kevin and Jeff in terms of their kind of um, they're starting to build that build up that playful banter um, back and forth with each other. Um, and when there's dead space and or on Friday's game, when the game is out of reach, you know, they, they kind of enter into almost a, a podcasting aspect, just like we do, um, where they're in essence just shooting the shooting everything off and just being like let's just talk because no one's interested so far in the game let's just talk about almost like you know what's going on uh with the organization with the club with major league baseball with everything else and i I think that's a really good way um you know to do it um you know the only critique that i would make would be and again this might just become part of you know me becoming more normalized with their voices and stuff like that you know, in terms of first listenings to Kevin and Jeff, I feel like they both have very similar voices in terms of tone mm-hmm. and inflection. Um, so it might take, it's going to take me a little bit of time just basically to make sure that when I'm listening, that I immediately recognize, oh, this is Fred Mantra or this is Joe Angel. I think eventually I'm going to get there with Kevin and Jeff. But for the time being, um, I am still getting used to that at this point. So you're a bigger man than I because you just admitted it, but I, I had the same trouble. I, I will say that the comparison in my experience is against the legendary. Yes. Right. It, John Miller, uh, you know, Joe angel, uh, you, you don't, you don't just come across these guys every day. Right. And I, and I really, again, Jeff Arnold, uh, you know, I, I don't know him yet. I'm looking forward to getting to know him. You know, Kevin, I, again, has, has really grown on me. You know, Melanie, I look forward to hearing uh, for the first time cause I missed her, her work before, but, um, you know, they've got awfully big shadows that they're resting in. No doubt. And again, they are still coming into their own style, as it were. Obviously, you know, Kevin, Jeff, um, and even Melanie have done broadcasts before um, in various iterations. But there is a different, you know, avenue in terms of, you know, going and being a Major League Baseball broadcaster and the way that you're presenting the story, um, as it were. So, like I said, I, I, I can't say... That is that is on them. That that may equally be on me as a listener. Um, but that is something that I'm going to be looking to improve on um, going forward as a as a radio listener. Um, I don't want to disappoint Lila, but I'm going to talk about something uh, you know politics adjacent for a second. I was interested not just with the Orioles, uh, but with Major League Baseball as a whole to see their embrace of Black Lives Matter uh, for opening day weekend or opening day Thursday and Friday or whatever it was, um, you know, that was, that was, um, intentional. And I would say a little risky for, uh, such a, a widely followed organization. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, again, we, we talked about it earlier in terms of how conservative baseball truly is, um, and it was interesting to see MLB um, as a whole embrace it. Um, and it was also interesting to see certain clubs go further and even certain players go further on upon it, too. So um, I, I'm glad to see it. Um, that being said, it, it was interesting to me that um, it didn't get um, the news cycle um, 
you know, catastrophe that, you know, the Kaepernick saga got in terms of, you know, right, uh, right news media basically attacking it. Um, it, it, I felt like it kind of slipped under the radar a little bit, um, is the best way to well, put it. I mean, I, I think that Major League Baseball, um, for better or for worse, really has seemingly learned some of, uh, you know, the lessons learned from the NFL's self-inflicted wounds, right? I mean, they watched that organization. Um, you stand on the sidelines, so to speak, uh, because they didn't want to offend their fan base and then had to do an about face, right? And so, you know, what they did was they allowed an expression by the players publicly of speech, right? And and separated it a little bit from the anthem, right? So, you know, you had both teams in unison, you know, kneeling before the anthem and then during the anthem, hey, whatever it is that you want, right? And so the, the image that you see is, oh, here are the players kneeling together in unison, because they want to make a statement and then separately you have the anthem. Right. And so I think that like that separation is enough for the people that are, that care about, you know, a song being disrupted. Um, I mean, I mean but we, even, same- we even saw Mookie Betts like take a knee during the anthem. And, you know, I guess I expected, you know, more people to be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe Mookie Betts did that. Mm-hmm. Especially after signing a massive contract, um, and I'm sure it was out there. I mean, I'm sure if I went to Facebook and read through the comments, I would certainly find it. Um, I, I, again, there just might be bigger problems right now for, for, for news medias to cover and stuff like that. Let, but let, let me say this as delicately as I can. Sure. <clears throat> um, Mookie Betts now plays in Los Angeles rather than Boston. Okay. Gotcha. So, because he's in California now permanently for the next ten plus years, who cares about that California guy? Or, or his home fans are <clears throat> less offended. What? <laughs> I I I do think it's interesting to see, you know, Major League Baseball, you know, do its best to navigate these waters. From an organizational standpoint, you know they uh, they have to be careful that their brand isn't tarnished by being on the wrong side of history at the same time, they need to kowtow to people that spend money with them that are on the wrong side of history. And they, they also need to be in a spot where they allow their players to speak their minds while also putting some limits on it. It's not a, um, it's not a position as a, as a, you know, that I envy as a business. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, obviously some of it's better than not. I'll tell you what, I I thought that the Rays went above and beyond uh, on opening day. And, you know, it wasn't just a token social media uh, presence, right? They made their views known. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, it was an interesting comment of like, um, you know, Major League Baseball making sure that folks don't go too far. But um I think that's a really important aspect for any business to give consideration to of saying, we're not going to stand in your way. If you have something to say, you should be feel free to say it. Um, and I think major league baseball should be doing the same thing of like, if you want to take a knee, we'll support you in taking a knee. If you want to speak up against it, that's fine. But um, it, it shouldn't be prohibiting folks from speaking their minds. Um, we've talked about this before. 
you know, sports and politics have a ten, have will always have a tendency to mix. You know, people say, well, sports and politics shouldn't mix, but yet we you know stand for uh, a national anthem. We do military flyovers. Um, and I understand that's paying respect and homage to the military and our country and, you know, the lives that were lost, but at the same point, you know, lives have been lost in terms of people taking a knee as well. Um, so I, I think it's, it, it's one of these things where I hope Major League Baseball continues to foster this message of please speak out, please be advocates for society. Um, and, and please, you know, be a voice for all our fans and not just a certain subset of our fans. Sure. The other thing I I hope is that they do it in a way that is sincere and not, this is what we have to do because we're a business. Yeah. Um, Okay. So that aside, let me uh, move on from Black Lives Matter to Black Jerseys Matter. Uh, Scotty, the Orioles chose to go with the Black Jerseys. It's kind of a weird choice, don't you think? Uh, I definitely think it's a a weird um, aspect in terms of um, the black jerseys. I mean, I know we were talking about this on Friday night where it's the typical Friday garb. Um, but man, you think that they would make an exception, uh, for opening net, opening night. Yeah. Yeah. Super weird. And then on the Saturday, which was traditionally the day that they wear their sun, their, uh, orange kits, they, they went back to the black. Now, thank God they went back to the black with the real hat rather than that garish O's cap. Uh, but weird, just weird. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am glad to see the, the the spring training cap finally retired. Um, the fact that we were still seeing it up into the exhibition games was just really frustrating. Um, I I was actually more happy to see the O's hat than the the the, the, the terrible spring training hat that the Orioles had this year. Um, but Jake, I'm all on board with what you were saying on Twitter on Friday night. Um, I would you know send the O's hat into the sun and replace it with a multitude of other you know, products can't believe I still have to defend that position in 2020. It's 2020 people. Yep. Uh, okay. It's all about the apostrophe, uh, right, Jake? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. So very, 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 very small sample size, but let's talk about the baseball that we saw. Um, first I'll say this, uh, Friday sucked in a lot of ways, but it was nice to see the Orioles bounce back from a mis- miserable opener and post, you know, a, a five-run win on Saturday and take the series two to one. Always good to see the good guys win. Absolutely, absolutely. Always, always fun to see it. I mean, it's just one of those things that if you know any Red Sox fans, um, Jason Lockenford, I'm looking at you. Um, you can just kind of rub it in their face a little bit and be like, "Hey, how bad is your team that you lost to the Baltimore Orioles um, at Fenway Park?" Like that just tells you how miserable um, that team is right now. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, let, let's just talk about it. I, I was surprised pleasantly by what we saw from Wade LeBlanc Excuse on me? Saturday. If you're going to say his name, you've got to say it correctly. It's Wade LeBlanc. I'm sorry. Could I have that one more time? It's Wade LeBlanc. So, so we're not doing this like Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast? Of course not. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> if if nothing else this podcast was was uh, a good idea just for that all right <laughs> i was really happy with uh, pleasantly surprised with what i saw from Will leblanc thank you <laughs> um so, yeah, so um 
I mean, let, let's let's talk about him for a second. You know, kind of that craftiness, a guy that doesn't have the stuff to blow anything by the hitters. So he's got to make do with, you know, location and uh, and and the differential between uh, off speed and the harder stuff. Did we just see him on a good day or do you think that's what the club has been seeing throughout the spring and summer camp that got him to the team and got him in the starting rotation? I think that's what we were expecting to get from him um, when we, in essence, signed him. I will put this caveat on there. Again, he's a control artist, um, and I will point out that there are going to be certain clubs that are going to hit that control artist really well. Um, it just sure. happened to be that the Red Sox didn't do that, but... He, I, I look at what we signed him to do, um, and I say, you know, if he can be a good fourth or fifth starter, that's great. Um, and he certainly put a performance out there that could easily be a fourth or fifth starter. So, again, he he did what he was supposed to do. Um, he did it well. He didn't do it great. Um, but it was good to see someone deliver on what we expected them to do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, somebody who did something that was, frankly, unexpected— to me, it was Alex Cobb. You know, this is a guy who, look, nice guy, but just hasn't done it here. He looked pretty sharp in his debut. Yeah, I thought Alex Cobb did a nice job with command, but I also thought that the movement on some of his pitches were really, um, really impressive. Um, we'll have to see if that continues on to the season, um, if there is a season. Um, but yeah, Alex Cobb looked really um, good in that one start. Um, and I guess we'll see if he can continue to string forth a few games like that. Um, and if so, you know, maybe we finally get our wish that Alex Cobb is a trade ship that we can finally uh, leverage to our advantage. I'm sorry. I, I think you misunderstood what I said. Okay. I said Alex Cobb looks sharp. I was I was talking about a socks. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, he he does have some um, impressive uh, hosiery. Yeah, I, I was I was a big fan. Or, or what, right. what I meant was hosiery for Willebonk for Willebonk. Goodness, <laughs> I don't know how this happened, but I'm I'm here for it. Uh, I'm about Tommy to say this, this was unscripted whatsoever. This is just me making trying to make Jake laugh. So um, look, look, you're you, you're too deep into the milk. Absolutely, right? can't, can't hold your tall glass of milk. Uh, Tommy Malone pitched, and um, as a pitcher, I think I can I can say charitably about him that. He has adorable children. He's got a beautiful family, a beautiful family. Um, we, t- we talk about, you know, will, will, will this be what we see? I, oof, I hope Tom Malone just had a, had an off day. Cause that was not as much fun. Um, I, I think Tommy Malone had a really bad day and I don't think it was as bad as it, it, it should have been. Um, I, I don't necessarily know if it's going to get much better for Tommy Malone though. But I tell you what, putting his kids on the air like that, the way the Masson broadcasted, oh, great. I'm rooting for that guy. Yeah. Like, whoa. No, it's great. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you, we look back at, like, Caleb Joseph, for example, and stuff like that in terms of being a family man and stuff like that. Um, and, I, and I know there's other, you know, f- folks that are on the ball club um, that are family men like that, too. But it, it was good to see, like you said, um, a semblance of normalcy and um, connection um, to us as also um, you know, fellow dads. So, you know, great to see. And, um, yeah, definitely some cute kids. All right. Uh, let's, let's move into the bullpen. I feel like there was a lot to talk about, but I think the thing that intrigued me the most was, uh, Cole Salser. Yeah. And what we think is going to happen there. Now, I, 
I wonder, you know, could this be a real bullpen arm? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, it's interesting, you know, watching him go out there and pitch. He, he certainly had a really good outing. Um, he is 30 years old, which kind of concerns me. Um, but, you know, I, I think there is something there. I mean, he, he, I, I think he's going to be something. Um, I don't know what it's going to be yet, um, but I always come back and we're always looking for that that next big person in the bullpen. You know, I mentioned when Dick Blyer started pitching us, I was like, Dick Blyer is going to be the guy this year. Um, you know, just watching Cole Slusser pitch in terms of his pitch repertoire, his command, his approach to the plate. Cole Sussler could be that individual that surprises a lot of us um, and turns into that eighth man, uh, you know, eighth inning person um, once Hunter Harvey comes back in and serves as a great setup man to Hunter Harvey as as closer. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that came up with the Rays and they they know a thing or two about pitching. Uh, but But the thing is, is that, you know, outside of, you know, Hunter Harvey, who's been good when he's been around, um, there are so many question marks in the bullpen, right? I mean, like, you know, Michael Givens is is our quote-unquote closer, but he's not been an absolute lock, right? He hasn't been a sure thing. Correct. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just about done with the Miguel Castro experience. You know, uh, Paul Fry has been unimpressive. I really feel like, you know, Sean Armstrong, if he's not the guy that gets the call in the sixth when the starter gets gets rattled, that the game is going to be in trouble, right? Yeah, I agree. And so we need dependable arms back there. And I, I really feel like like Sulcer can be that. And and uh, you're right. I mean, he's 30, so he's clearly not the youngest guy. Hey, Darren O'Day um, was in his 30s, too, when he was pitching in, yeah. in that given regard. So, I mean, you can get value um, here. Again, this is what we always talk about from bullpen arms is you can get value um, even from guys in, in, in their 30s um, for, we'll call it, three to five years. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing that a team like the Orioles um, during 2012 to 2016 really – set themselves up for successes. They, they found these, you know, needles in a haystack um, where you don't have to pay these guys a lot of money um, and you can distribute that money to other players and or use them as trade chips in the future. So um, is Cole Slusser going to be the next big thing? I don't know. But in, in a short season, I'm interested to see how the Orioles utilize him. Um, I'm interested to see if we continue to see the ground ball rate that we saw with a very short sample size. But I like the approach from Cole Slusser, and I, I I think that he has the potential to be um, that eighth inning guy that we have not had in a very long time. I'm disappointed in you. You're not ready to crown this guy the next big thing in the bullpen after two innings in three games. Come on, Scott. I actually, if I had to go out there, I actually would crown him right now. Um, so you know what? I'm willing to put it out there. I think Cole Slusser is going to be the next Dick Blyer. <laughs> all right that's what i like to hear we've we've talked pitching uh, b- before i move on to the hitting did did we miss anything uh on, on the pitching side any any performances that are worth mentioning i i don't think so um i i hit, i think that generally covers the the topics i want to do on the pitching side um nothing else really to add all right let's let's talk about hitting then what as you asked at the top of this segment did you see um 
So, so a few things um, that you know were interesting to me. Um, you know, one of the performances that I you know didn't go over very well this weekend um, was Austin Hayes. But you know, I, I thought that Austin Hayes did a really nice job um, in the leadoff position. He he you know only had you know two hits, um, but I oftentimes I thought that he worked the counts pretty well, um, and I also thought that he put some really hard balls into play. Uh, it just didn't work out for him. Um, but I really liked what I saw from Austin Hayes in that leadoff spot. Okay, yeah, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll take that. I, I, I will co-sign. Here's something that I didn't expect to be saying: Jose Iglesias is having a really hot, hot start at the plate. Yeah, I mean, people kept joking about Jose Iglesias being in that number three spot, but again, we we saw this during the exhibition games where you know Jose Iglesias was actually doing really well at the plate, um, and I, I think this is one of those you know matters where. You know, when players are doing well, um, you're going to bat them higher up in the order. And when they go cold, then you drop them down in the order. But, you know, for the time being, um, I would probably put Jose Iglesias as one of those top five batters. And again, if we're looking at it from a purely sabermetric standpoint, the number three batter in the order from a lineup standpoint, you know, actually doesn't see, um, you know, that many um, chances for an RBI. I think it's actually the fifth most in the entire lineup. So we oftentimes think, you know, well, the number three, four hitter and number four hitter, your two best hitters. Well, and in, in, in reality, it's your number two hitter and your number four hitter, your two best hitters, um, followed by your number one and your number five. And then your number three hitter is normally appropriately your fifth best player. So I, I think it's appropriate. I think Jose Iglesias, you know, showed that he's riding that hot streak. And I think Hyde is going to be a little bit more flexible um, with the lineup arrangement um, as we go about, just like we saw Hans Arbeltro batting up, you know, at the very top of the lineup um, against lefties um, and then being dropped to, I wouldn't say the bottom of the lineup, but the fifth position, um, you know, later on when he's batting against righties. Sure. Sure. Uh, let me ask you this. Rio Ruiz, hot little start there. Could Rio Ruiz be this year's Renato Nunez? No. No? No. I'm not seeing it. I, I think so you're, I think you're that saying it, that Rio Ruiz might be this year's 2013 Chris Davis? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's. I think Rio Ruiz had two nice games is the best way to put it. Um, but I, I don't think Rio Ruiz is going to, um, you know, have the performance um, you know, that people are like, oh, well, he's going to, you know, hit a ton of home runs. I mean, he batted 250 and he'd had two home runs. But I mean, overall, um, I, I just don't see Rio Ruiz as, you know, the next big Renato Nunez. I don't, I think you're, you're discounting the impact of stupid hair. Uh, you know what? You are right. That silly hair, um, does make a difference. Um, and, you know, Rio Ruiz is definitely coming into his own being at 25 years old. So maybe, Maybe this is a breakout season for him. I, I I just don't see it. Um, I think ultimately this is going to be a pretty mediocre season for Rio Ruiz, um, and you know I I just don't expect much from him. All right, um, we saw we saw a fair amount of uh, bunting ordered by Hyde in this first uh, series. What do you make of that? Do you think it's a shift in in approach? Do you think it's just this is what the the situation gave this weekend, and so that's what happened? Um, and, and what did you think of it? Wouldn't you want the games to be over quicker? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, there there is that. Okay, so so much to do about nothing. I I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, you know, I saw there was one where there was men on first and second, and um, Hyde bunted over to get to second and third. I wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, but again, I'm not a huge fan of bunting. But uh, again, it doesn't really matter. Um, it's something that you know when we get into more competitive games in the future, if it becomes more happenstance, um, and with the talent that's on the on the club. At that point, I may come back and, in essence, raise questions. But for the time being, with the talent level and the situation we're in, um, I've got bigger things to be worried about. All right. I um, I have something to tell you, and I don't want to shock you. Okay. After three games, Scott, Chris Davis has started the season with a negative weighted runs created plus. I am absolutely flabbergasted that this is occurring once again. Um. I, w- I will say he, he only has an 8.3% K rate, so uh, he's certainly improving on his strikeout rate. Yeah. No, no, I, you know, not, a, not enough season to go on. He had a quote-unquote, you know, good spring. Uh, but, you know, a, a lot of people have noted that his at-bats haven't looked bad. You know, I, I was watching Matt Kremnitzer uh, tweet out this weekend about, you know, hey, that didn't come out the way we would have liked, but can't hate the approach. So I guess here's hoping. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think it was that bad. Um, I think we're going to see, you know, I'm going to put in the category of Mark Reynolds. um, And I I know the two are ever going to be always linked. um, But um, I think we're going to see Chris Davis again go on hot streaks. um, And everyone's going to lose their minds. um, And then he's going to go through cold streaks. Um, But again, I I agree with Matt. I I didn't see approaches. I think there was one plate appearance where he let two balls go by, and I'm like, "Mm, what are you doing up there? Um, But overall, on a whole, I didn't think it was terrible um, for what he was doing at the plate appearances. Um, Even the swings that he had were not those kind of loopy swings that we sometimes see where he's doing weird things with his hands. Um, Overall, it wasn't terrible. It's it's nothing for me to get too riled up about right now. I give it a, a solid C+. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, let me talk about a player I love talking about, and that is Anthony Santander. I feel like he had a, uh, a pretty good series, it, and especially considering that this is a guy that was, you know, apparently recovering from COVID. Um, you know, he, he did some things with the bat, but the thing that I'm most interested in was the play that he made right in front of the Hardy pole yep. uh, to, to save a, a home run. Uh, if we get more season... I really want to watch Santander's defense. Um, you know, clearly he is here because of his bat. Like that's that's why he's a major league player. Um, but I, I, he had range I, is the best way to put it. There, like he had good yeah. range. Um, it it wasn't great, but it was a it was average to above average. So, um, I think if we're looking for a potential right fielder or even a left fielder going forward, um, in a future state, I, I certainly wasn't too scared off there um in in terms of his approach so it's amazing to me looking at you know when he first came to the organization as a rule five draft pick i watched him play left field i'm like this guy can't play left field like he can't be in the outfield he is a dh um and he has made some remarkable improvements in terms of his defense and i'm I'm sure that's part of the orioles helping him out i think it's also him trying to get better as a player um so yeah i was i agree with you jake you know, the bat is the bat. Um, but I was really impressed by um, the routes he took to balls and stuff like that. Um, and overall, I'd like to see more of it to see if it was a small sample size or um, if we are, in essence, going to see 
um, Anthony Santander turn into something more than I was expecting. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Is there anything else uh, on that other side of the field in the, uh, you know, on the offense that we haven't talked about that we should? The only other thing I would say too, is um, I know Chancisco kind of played in a limited sample size, but I thought Chancisco did a really nice job um, getting on base a lot. Um, you know, he, he didn't get a hit, but he drew two walks. Um, I think Chancisco did a really good job from a play discipline standpoint. So, um, if Chance Cisco could turn into that on-base machine like he was projected to be um, in the past of the minors, um, that's a really intriguing standpoint as it relates to um, a backup catcher for myself. Yeah, definitely something to, to continue to watch again if if we're able. Yes. Well, Scott, we haven't had the opportunity to do this in a while, but I feel like it's time to dust off an old favorite. So, Let's take a quick break and then try to get back into the saddle. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started uh, just because the rants of Scott Magnus greatly uh, exceed the quality of my own when it gets to ugly. But let's start with good. And uh, I've somewhat already blown this, but my good for this week is Way Leblanc. And, uh, you know, I, again, I was more impressed than I wanted to be. You know, he really did a good job of missing bats in his appearance. And, you know, like Scott said, he won't always do it. Um, but, you know, if he can do it ever so often, great could be a valuable pickup and you know even though it's a low ceiling uh you know this is a a player who may turn into somebody who can fill up innings while you know the arms that matter develop yeah i think this might be the first and only week that we're going to pick back-to-back pitchers uh and mine's going to go to alex cobb i think coming off of friday night's game um the orioles were you know used a lot of pitchers in that friday night game and i know it's a 30-man roster right now um, but they needed, you know, someone like Alex Cobb to come out there and put out a veteran performance. He was able to go deep into the game. He was able to, you know, keep the Orioles in a really good position, um, had some really nice command of pitches, really great movement for pitches. Um, I'm interested to see again, um, is that a ability to, for the Orioles and for Alex Cobb to string together a few games where perhaps we're getting into the end of August and a team is willing to take a flyer on him for one month and perhaps we can get some, you know, very mediocre prospects, um, maybe someone like 10th to 13th in someone's prospect organization, um, to filling a, a need for us going forward in the future um, as it relates to this rebuild. Sure. Scott, are you ready for my bad yeah, for so this week? I, I'm ready for your bad. My bad is Paul Fry. Look, Paul Fry did not get outs, and with the change in rules in Major League Baseball, he can no longer be a loogie. And so... If that avenue isn't available to him, is he going to flame out of Major League Baseball? I, I think it's a, a, a good possibility. All right. Again, small sample size, but in in what we have this week, I say, Paul Fry, you were my bad. Yeah, so so my ugly is going to go to Cody Carroll. Uh, my bad's going to go to Cody Carroll. Um, came in, gave it three walks, just couldn't get anything done, just command issues really disappointing kind of um you know debut with the orioles 
Um, you know, I'm hoping to see him improve on that going forward in the future, but um, nothing that he did during that appearance um, was very encouraging for Friday. So Cody Carroll gets my bad for the, for the week. My ugly goes to the feels. The feels that were generated by an opening day loss like we experienced. Giving up 13 runs, losing to the Red Sox, you know, after waiting so long, after being so excited to have that feeling of, oh, God, that's right, we suck. Who was I to think that baseball season would be looking worth looking forward to? It felt like crap, and that was ugly. I'm not, you know, not beating up the team, not saying, you know, that they're not worth watching from here on out. I'm just saying that in the moment, boy, that sucked. That the feels of opening night, that was ugly. My is just going to go to um, the Marlins organization, specifically Don Mattingly, for not kind of stepping in and just saying we're not going to play baseball. Um, we have seen a multitude of other organizations um, express that they are unwilling to go in and play. Um, we've seen veteran leadership both from managers but also the players. Um, for me, former players such as Don Mattingly, um, I would have hoped that he would have stepped in and said, um, you know, we're going to, in essence, make the decision um, to, to no longer play in order to basically take a, take care of our players and going forward. Um, frankly, you know, we talked about forfeits and stuff like that. I, I do think there needs to be some kind of punishment that comes down to the Marlins organization and specifically to Don Mattingly. Um, I don't know what it is and what it's going to be. Um, I don't think it should be forfeits, but I do think it should be something else of um, severity. Um because ultimately it's going to compromise the game. And for as much as we got bent out of shape over people banging on trash cans, I think this is an equally, um, you know, an equal crime because as we talked about, it's a matter of life and death, not just for the players, but for the staff members that take care of these players to the folks that interact with them at hotels and everything like that too. So, um, you know, I, I really hope that nothing bad comes out of this, um, that there is no negative news. Um, because if so, there's going to be blood on the hands of Major League Baseball and Don Mattingly, in my opinion. Well spoken. Well spoken. Well, it is the return of the good, the bad, and the ugly here at Bird's Eye View. Please let us know. Share with us on Twitter who you're good, who you're bad, but particularly who your ugly was uh, on the Twitters. We we always love to hear from you. All right. With that, uh, Jake, why don't you go ahead and blow the save? Scott, while we've been recording here, while we've been laughing, while we've been having a good time talking about the sport we love, uh, the world has grown a bit darker. And I say that because it's in the last hour or so that the uh, Baltimore sports uh, world has learned of the passing of Orioles and Ravens superfan Mo Gabba. And it is difficult to know what to say about that other than to say that it wasn't Mo's love of sports that made him instantly likable. It was that in a world that was so dark in a condition that was so difficult, it is difficult to find someone who is lighter, who had uh, more of a, 
more vivacious a spirit, someone who brought others around him up regardless of the situation. And, you know, throughout the Baltimore area, throughout Birdland, um, you know, we're all really mourning the loss of Mo. And I know that there are a lot of, of people out there that have had the opportunity to, to meet him um, who are, are devastated. I know there are a lot of people out there who, you know, had just heard about him um, who, are, who are equally saddened tonight. Um, so obviously, you know, here from Bird's Eye View, we, we just want to um, offer our condolences, obviously, uh, to Mo's family and to anybody else who was touched by him. Earlier this afternoon, uh, the Orioles announced that Mo would be elected to the Orioles Hall of Fame as the second ever Wild Bill Hagee uh, award winner, thereby putting Mo in the Orioles Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, so my my cap is off to you, Orioles. Uh, a great, great tribute uh, to, again, somebody that, that did nothing but give to the people around him. Um, and in times that are as dark as these, again, uh, a light for all of us. So, um, again, uh, a great loss to our, our community, you know, not only Birdland, but, uh, you know, Baltimore as a whole. And, uh, you know, good, good on the Orioles for doing the right thing. Yeah, I mean, condolences to um, his mother um, during this aspect. And you're absolutely right, Jake. Um, it was that, um, you know, spirit, as it were, that, 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 that laugh aspect that, um, in essence, caused us to kind of embrace it. It's that childlike aspect that when we talked about talking to our sons about, you know, baseball being, being canceled, it's that same thing of, you know, him laughing uh, and just enjoying sports for what they are. And, and that's a game. Um, and just enjoying the wins and the losses that come with it. Um, and, and even when, you know, Chris Davis would strike out, you know, 50 times in a row, um, you know, a, a fan like Mo, for example, would be listening and still kind of rooting the team on. So, that's the kind of fandom that we want to see um, as much as me and Jake, you know, Jake joke around about um, the Orioles and, and even the Ravens, you know, when we're talking uh, on the sides. Um, but again, that that's what we, we all hope that we can do is just to kind of enjoy life as it is um, and, and do so to kind of help each other out and, and bring each other up. And I think that's part of the reasons why we do this podcast is to kind of be part of that community. Um, and certainly Mo Gappa was part of that community um, he was certainly part of Birdland, um, and he will be missed. And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you do get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen. For the first time come and get social with us you can email us at contact to birdseyeviewbaltimore.com you can find us on social media on instagram on facebook and on snapchat but the best way to get a hold of us is on twitter where we tweet at birdseyeview b-a-l and with that baltimore and beyond i will bid you a fond adieu adieu good night mo be safe out there and let's go O's.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.